Welcome to Reboot for Connection, the podcast dedicated to understanding connection at work. This is where we talk to leaders, communications professionals, and other subject matter experts about how organizations are now intentional about designing for connection in the workplace. Real connection to people, mission, and the work itself. We explore what can be achieved when this is approached as a strategic initiative. My name is Jürgen Abo, and this podcast is brought to you by ScreenCloud. Now, let's get into the good stuff. All right, I'm here with um, a fan of the great outdoors, uh, a veteran, but still somehow a young, grown man. Um, a really special guy that I've gotten to know, and uh, his name is J.D. Norton. Welcome. Hi, how's it going? All right, all right. Well, I'm excited awesome. to chat. Um, internal comms is clearly um, on a lot of people's minds these days. And um, aside from the reality we're in right now and, um, and kind of all the ripple effects of everything that's happened, in general also, right, things have been shifting around internal comms. Can you just kick off by sharing your take on that? Yeah, I, I mean, like you said, I think especially over the course of the last six months, um, people have realized sort of the importance of, of having, you know, somebody that's dedicated to a function of communicating to employees um, and thinking about that all the time. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think I've seen sort of trends change as well, where, you know, years ago, um, I would, <laughs> I would always mention to people, you know, startups really need to have internal comms, like startups should really have internal comms functions, even if it's like one person. Um, and it just wasn't something that really a lot of companies thought about until they reached a certain size until, um, I think maybe they got sort of bogged down by reactive comms and they're like, you know, we need somebody to take care of this rather than thinking about it, um, and come in and start thinking about it proactively. And so I think like, you know, like I said, I think COVID sort of accelerated that even more. Um, and I think too, one of the, one of the things that a lot of people saw, um, I don't know if you noticed in the news, but you know, it was like every single day as you know, some company was having to do a riff or having to communicate major company news related to COVID or all of the BLM protests, you know, um, they were messing up there, you know, there was, there was people that had no idea how to use zoom. There was people that had no idea how to, you know, properly email their employee lists and to maintain those. And they were making it into the news, you know, like people were, <laughs> people were sneaking into all, all hands meetings via zoom that shouldn't have been there because they weren't password protected. Um, you know, a lot of employees were anonymously um, sort of rabble rousing during these meetings uh, nobody knew who, who was, you know, and these were all making it out into the news. And so it was like things that could have been solved internally um, could have been prevented of, you know, having external problems. You know? So like have somebody in a function that, that you know, handles all of that for you. Um, and it keeps it keeps your PR people <laughs> a little like more happy because they don't have to be running around putting out all these fires. Um, so there's definitely been a, a shift, definitely a change in, over the course of the last few years, but it's definitely been accelerated over the course of the last six months. On the note of being proactive versus reactive, what specifically are you guys seeing over at Thumbtack and what are you thinking based on all your experience that companies really need to do as they are trying to get more proactive? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think to me, the first thing is to identify somebody or some group to handle this function. So even if internal comms is not a function within your organization, um, you should have somebody that thinks about it at least a certain percentage of their time. Um, because when internal comms is solely reactive, when you have somebody within your company that is just handling the, hey, this happened and now we need to respond. We need to come up with you know, a response to our employees, um, let them know what's going on. 
then you're constantly behind. You're constantly just reacting to more things. But when you can sit down, um, you know, even with somebody that's, it's not their sole role, but if you can just think about, okay, you know, all we need is, uh, we need a timeline. We need to know what's happening within the company. We need to identify anything that, you know, might not, um, we might not expect. And then um, just have a plan for how we react to those. But then also, how do we get ahead of those things? I think dedicating the time to think about how you get ahead of things um, will really help. Because if, you're, if your executive staff is communicating frequently with employees, if you have means of like weekly or monthly communications with your employees um, and you're addressing things as they're happening, then the reactive is a lot sort of, um, it's less, you have to do less of it. And maybe what you have to react to down the road, um, the impact is lessened as well because you've sort of been, preparing employees. Um, and when you keep them in the loop, it really helps. You've obviously been doing this for a while. Um, <laughs> tons, tons of experience, but still a young man. Um, yeah. <laughs> at heart, right? Why, thank you. No, in heart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As old skateboarders, you know, at heart, we're still yeah. young. Um, yep, exactly. But, you know, when you're talking about your you know decade plus at ebay your time with fitbit you know now at thumbtack other stuff even before all that right um what what are some of the experiences that you've had that have kind of helped you actually succeed in this current situation because one thing is to kind of know another thing is to actually have been through a lot of different stuff to figure out how to maneuver what would you say, and I'm going to assume you've had success, you know, this, this year uh, working through stuff. I think I know that you have. Um, what would you, what, what parts of the experience would you credit that? That's a great question. Um, and it, I mean, it comes with so many, I really feel like, you know, when you go into comms and you get a degree in comms and then you jump out and you want to become a communicator, whether that's external or internal. I think school somewhere prepares you for it, but comms is one of those things where it's just, it, it really is about experience. It is about having done these things either repeatedly or at least one time in the past. Um, because then you get to, you get to really see what works and what doesn't. You can sort of stand back and, watch something unfold and know what's going to happen next based on your previous experience. Um, and so, you know, I mean, examples around that are risks for the most part, you know, those are, it's, it's something that a communicator never wants to have to do. Um, it's probably, you know, some of the, some of the heaviest work you do in your career. Um, you know, but there's ways that you can do it with sort of compassion and empathy. And um, you, you learn that. That's like something that you have to kind of go through to learn that. And you, you learn, you know, there's like the responses um, when something like this happens. There's, you, you know, there's two groups. There's the people that are being let go, which need to, you know, that needs to happen one way. Um, and then there's the people that are staying behind and you get that stain behind guilt and you still go through the same stages um, that the people that you know were let go go through, and I think until you you did gone through and, and done a couple of these, um, you don't really realize that. You know, you think you're, there's one group that you're solving for, and it's those people that are leaving. But you know, having having unfortunately having done <laughs> you know many rifts throughout my career, you realize that. Um, you really need to solve for the people that are staying behind um, just almost probably as equally as those that are leaving um, because, you know, they're the ones that are now questioning what the future of the company looks like, what their future of the company looks like, um, you know, what, you know, their future career trajectory is. I can say that word. <laughs> you know, that's also something they don't teach you about in school. They don't say, here's how you communicate through a riff, you know? <laughs> like, so there's certain things like you learn how to communicate and you learn who your different audiences are and you know how to sort of build out a plan of, you know, okay, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Um, but what you don't really, what you don't learn is 
you know, actually how to go through a lot of these things. When we think about comms, especially people who aren't in, let's say, internal comms, right? We experience it a lot uh, as employees. But so when we non-internal comms people think of comms, we think about this aspect of, well, we're being communicated to. But I know you have a slightly different take on that. What's your philosophy around listening and that part of being the head of internal comms in a company? You know, even though people think that as a communicator, that is what you, you just sit down and you make videos and you write comms and you, you know, you sit with the executives and you ghostwrite for them. And, you know, it's, it's writing, 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 video, video, video. Um, but that's, you know, that's such a small percentage of it. Um, to me, I always say the half, like not half, probably 70% of my job is listening. It's, it is like, I'm a listening post um, within the organization. I always say that I'm a little bit of a conduit between the leadership team and the employee base because I'm listening to both sides all the time. And then I'm trying to, you know, get those messages across to one another. Um, and so, you know, I feel like you cannot properly communicate within an organization unless you've taken the time to also listen, to know what people are concerned about, to, you know, try to understand and ask questions and um, get as much context as possible. I'm one of those question askers. And so like every meeting, I think people get sick of me asking all the questions, but it's because if I don't have all the context that I need, if I don't understand something, I can't help other people understand something. And so that is like, I think one of the biggest roles of an internal communicator um, that there is, you know, you can't just sit down and write out a bunch of words. You need to know, once again, it kind of goes back to the experience. You need to be able to anticipate what people are going to ask, you know, as a result of this communication, what are people going to ask? What's going to be sort of, you know, left up in the air? What are they going to expect as, as far as when we're going to communicate more? Um, you know, it's, 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 that context and without listening, you can't have that context. So, you know, I set up a lot of, I, I, I have a lot of one-on-ones with a lot of our product leads throughout the org, um, all of our members of leadership, uh, also just, you know, regular, like I, I meet with a lot of the EAs weekly. Um, I talk with a lot of our workplace experience people. Um, well, it kind of, it's just like, I have ears throughout the organization, you know, and it's gotten a little harder in the, over the course of the last six months to do all of that. But I, I feel like listening is probably one of the biggest portions of my role that you know people don't think about. Yeah, I was going to ask. I'm curious. So at Thumbtack, do you think the employee base understand that that's a deliberate effort on your part? That listening is something that you think about as a strategically important thing, and therefore you do it day in and day out. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I, people still don't even understand what internal comms is. Like people don't understand what an internal communicator does. Um, and so like, I, I don't think that listening is even something that is considered um, at all, to be honest. I think there are some people that understand it, you know, cause like I, I'll meet with our HRBPs um, at, once a month um, just to hear what's going on because they're, they're sort of the same. They're kind of in that same role where they're listening all the time. People go to them with all their problems. You know, they sit down and they meet with leadership to hear what their people are talking about all the time. Um, and so when I meet with the HRVPs, they get it because they do it themselves. <laughs> but for the most part, I really don't think people understand that, you know, um, I, I'm really trying to be sort of uh, an extension of their own ears. As corny as that sounds, you know. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I think it's it's the missed part about communication. We all we all know that it's about listening and listen more than you talk and all that stuff. But we always forget, right? In every situation, we always just forget that. Um, one thing related to that that I wanted to ask you about is, so whether you are listening or sending messages. Um, you mentioned on the listening side, there's a lot of one-on-ones. Um, but obviously now a little bit harder to do that. There's also the channels that we all use, right? Um, how do you think about the channels, both for listening, but perhaps mainly for getting the message out? 
How's that evolving for you? What's, what's kind of the latest in your world with respect to using the channels as effectively as you can? Yeah, it, man, I tell you, the last six months sure has been, I mean, it's, it, it's really like, I, I've had to take a step back and just sort of reevaluate my entire role. Um, and is you know, I've taken on a lot more in the last six months. Um, you know, so whereas like, for example, with all of our all thumbs meetings, um, all of our global company meetings, you know, I had it that helped a lot with that previously when we were in the office, they ran all of the audio video and, um, you know, all that stuff. And now I'm doing it all. So, you know, now I've taken on this new role as sort of like the AV guy as well, <laughs> you know, which is, it's, um, it's, it's been interesting. <laughs> it definitely makes it, um, it's definitely added a different sort of responsibility and element to my role. There's sort of those, all those go-to channels that you've had. Like when you're in an office environment, you know, you've got this, 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 you know, and, and maybe sometimes this, and you can get tricky and do this. Um, but now it's, it's like you, you are 100% remote. The only way you're seeing people is through zoom. Um, but you know, you still got your, the classics, email, Slack, um, meetings. And then, you know, we, we also started, so we took a step back, um, after all of this started and, and sort of looked at, you know, are our executives in front of people as often as they need to be, you know, um, we don't, you don't see people in the office anymore. There's no water cooler chat. There's really no like lunchtime sort of conversations and collaboration that used to happen. Um, especially a place like Thumbtack, we had this absolutely incredible kitchen um, and, you know, had our meals every day. Everybody would come in for breakfast, lunch, and then the engineers always stuck around for dinner. <laughs> um, but, you know, that it wasn't just about the food and the eating. It was about that was the time where for an hour every day. Nobody booked meetings at lunchtime. Everybody went to the lunchroom. So there was like 350 people in the lunchroom altogether all talking and spending time together and whether it was business related or personal, you know, you were making connections and you were able to sort of get to know people and understand them better. Um, and then have these conversations that you just can't have. I think that is probably one of the biggest elements that's missing from this remote world right now. And that's something that we're trying to figure out on our end. Um, you know, in a, to kind of further to what I was just talking about, like we completely stepped back and redid our entire internal comp strategy for the second half of the year. Um, you know, we had to we had to make sure, like I said, that we created a separate strategy for all of our executives, um, made sure that they had all of their touch points with the entire company as well as their own departments. Um, completely redid our meeting strategy. Um, also, even just how we ask questions. And so there's a lot of things like it is not business as usual. And if you're treating it like business as usual, it's, it's I, I don't think it's going to be successful. Like this will not be one of those times where your employees come out and go, you know, that, that wasn't so bad. That was kind of nice. <laughs> um, and so I think a lot of people really like if you haven't, you need to take a step back and really look at your comm strategy, your internal comm strategy. Um, going forward because we're gonna we're gonna be in this situation for you know another six months another year who knows <laughs> and if you haven't rethought the internal comm strategy that you have you are now pretty much being reactive and so you're already kind of a step behind mm. that's a that's going to be a big uh, hop for people right because you you have to change um some of the conversations i've been having is along the lines of, look, we thought that we could just take what we did in the fiscal world and just like move it to the digital world so that collaboration and decision-making and all this stuff would just carry on as it, as it used to. And I think a lot of us made the mistake of just trying to do that, right? Um, find out pretty quickly that's not how it goes. So the fact that you guys have been that intentional about it and totally changed like how you do meetings is, is a big deal. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, totally. Um, so one of the things that we quickly realized after all of this happened was that, you know, we no longer have, like I said, there's no longer those sort of 
in-person touch points um, that you would have throughout the day. Um, and, you know, one of those, our leadership team would always participate in those types of things. I shouldn't say participate. It's not like you signed up to go to lunch. Um, but, you know, you would see them everywhere. Um, you would talk to them. You'd pass the CEO in the hall and stop and chat about something. Um, so one of the one of the biggest things is that when something like COVID happens or, you know, all of the stuff that happened or that is still happening, you know, with civil, civil justice and, and unrest, um, people are looking to the leadership team. People are looking um, more and more to the leaders of their companies to sort of help signal them and sort of give them guidance um, and really like, you know, what is happening in the world right now and how, what is our company doing to address it? Um, you know, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to get past this? You know, especially if you're, if you're, you know, like all, so many companies, like they just completely took a dive. Um, we were one of them. Um, we've totally recovered since then, but you know, when your company takes a dive and you go through a riff, which I mean, hundreds if not thousands of companies did over the course of the last six months, you know, what are you doing to, sort of help ease the minds of your employees to stay in front of them, to give them channels to communicate with you and you to communicate back. Um, you know, one of those things that we noticed quickly was that our leadership needed to be more visible than they were before. And we needed to have more channels for them to be seen and be heard um, and to also listen. And so in, that was kind of what guided us with redoing our meetings. Because prior to this, we, we just had an all thumbs meeting once every two weeks. The entire company would join, the CEO led it, you know, we'd have different presenters and speakers come in. Um, but it was once every two weeks, we'd have an all thumbs meeting. And, you know, that was really when most everybody connected. And so we started doing another meeting that was in between those. It was a lot less formal. Um, we just called it 30 minutes with Marco. Marco is our CEO. And it was just like 30 minutes of FaceTime with the CEO. He would answer all your questions, maybe have on a guest or two, but it was just super informal, you know, no big presentations or anything. And it was just really a chance for everybody to see one another. So where the all thumbs we would do would be a Zoom webinar and the only people that you can see are the presenters. We would do this just regular Zoom. So you would put up the screen and you would see all these boxes you'd see all the employees and you could see their backgrounds and you could see you know any <laughs> any funny things that they had done with their zoom um it was really cool and you know immediately we got feedback um around that meeting about just how great it was that there was this additional like really informal touch point with the ceo um and then we you know we're like okay so we're doing an all thumbs every other week we're doing these 30 minutes every other week but at the same time, you know, there's still so much going on that we're missing out, um, or we feel like we're missing out on other ways that we can elevate different people, different leaders, different groups within the organization, and then also still have that, those channels to be able to listen and respond. Um, so, you know, now we have, we still have a meeting every week, but each meeting is slightly different. So we start the week with a 30 minutes with informal chat with the CEO. And then we have our all thumbs, which um, are, you know, the more, it's the typical all hands. They're the more formalized, you know, content. I help create the decks, you know, very formal. And then um, we don't do, we only do Q and A in line and it's only topical. And then the next week we do an, an ask SLT session, our senior leadership team, and people can submit questions ahead of time um to get answered or they can ask them live and it's just 30 minutes of nothing but q a with the leadership team um, and then the following week we do what's called a showcase and showcase is where anybody can come and they can present the work that they're that they're currently working on something that they're proud of um, things that align to our values and so you know basically anybody can present and then this is we also kind of look at showcases almost like a breeding I don't want to say breeding ground but it's like a practice space for all thumbs so you know people that maybe have never presented in front of the entire company before um, this is where they can kind of come and get that experience of, of doing so um, with a little bit of a smaller audience and it's not so you know the the 
public eye, I guess you can say is not so elevated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then we also created another, we like we created an anonymous or non-anonymous channel to ask questions of our uh, leadership team directly. Um, so one of the things with All Thumbs every other week is that you really only had a chance to ask questions of the leadership team every other week. Um, and so we wanted to give a channel that was always on and always monitored. And so people will submit questions they could do, they can leave their name if they want a response or they can submit questions. More than likely it's comments that you submit anonymously because <laughs> why submit an anonymous question if you don't, you're not gonna get a response. But um, uh, they just do it through a Google form. And then our SL, uh, some member of our SLT form uh, team will respond back directly to that person. It sounds like you guys have been extremely intentional about building a cadence with the internal comps and with the connection to leadership. Um, what was the process like um, coming up with that and getting senior leadership to buy in and getting the CEO fully engaged? Because obviously that's taking more time, more energy. Um, you really have to be bought into the value of that to actually sign off on like, yeah, this is now our new plan and I'm going to do this all the time now. What was the process like? I mean, I could, I could tell you that it was really difficult and that we really had to like sell our leadership team on it, but I, that wouldn't be the truth. Like I, we've just been very, we, we have a very engaged, very active leadership team who knows the importance of communications and knows the importance of staying in front of um, you know, all of our employees and being very transparent and honest. Um, and so I, I can't say that it was hard. It, you know, it was basically like, look, you know, here's what we recommend. Here's why we, we recommend it. Um, give us your thoughts, you know, and it was like, this is great. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, it was like a few little tweaks here and there. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we just, we have a very, we have a very, open and honest leadership team, like I said, that understands the need for communications and for staying in front of employees. Um, and so it, it just, it, it wasn't difficult. We wrote up a plan and presented it and it got approved. <laughs> so I, I hate to like, <laughs> yeah, I, was I mean, not to say, you know, that happens every time, but. I was, I was looking for some juice there, man. I was looking, I was really digging, I was poking at it. Now, but, but really though, what, what that brings up for me is, is the fact that, look, when you have really good internal comms, you probably generally have pretty good leadership because it takes leadership's orientation, you know, to actually enable the full on like infrastructure and implementation of internal comms. Um, yeah. Not to say that you can't have great internal comms people at companies where leadership isn't leaning in as much, but at least it tends to be the case that, uh, yeah, the, the, the folks who are doing really well with this stuff have some solid leaders that understand the value, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to hop around a little bit. I think it's fascinating that you've been with uh, some of these other companies that you've been with too. You know, Fitbit really stands out as one of those kind of big, crazy ones where, you know, so much growth, right? Um, I believe you joined when, was there around 1,800 people or so when you came in there? Yeah, it was like 1,700 or 1,800 people when I joined. Yeah. And so, so you came in to basically handle internal comms. What was, what was that situation like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was, it was probably two or three years after their IPO, um, you know, not growing quite as quickly as they were. Um, I mean, the, the Fitbit story is just insane. The, the amount of growth in the amount of, in the little amount of time that it took place was just insane. I mean, I wasn't there for it, but, you know, having seen that timeline and heard that storyline, I mean, it was just, just struggling to, you know, hire enough people and struggling to keep up with, with the growth of the company. Um, so I came in, you know, two or three years after they had gone public. Um, I was hired as the first 
uh, internal comms lead for that company. Um, and, you know, it was, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, I, I had been a Fitbit user uh, for a long time, still am. Uh, love it, love the products, love the people. Um, you know, and I, I, I think it was, I'm trying to think, their reach at the time, there was like three main US offices. Um, there was two uh, overseas. They had one in Romania and another one in that area. I can't remember exactly where. And then there was a big office in Ireland, just like every tech company has. Um, you know, one, a few that were like factories in Asia pack, um, you know, it was, it, they were a good sized company and they had a lot of offices for, for 1800 people. Um, I think the, the, maybe my biggest learning from that role, uh, and I think that's really where it hit me. Like I, I had always kind of known that the sooner you can bring in a comms function, the better. I wanna preface this again by like, I absolutely love Fitbit. I loved all the people, loved the culture, loved what they had going on. But it was, my, my role was too late. My role ended up being almost purely reactive. Um, and, you know, it just, it wasn't what I was hoping for. It wasn't what I expected. Having done comms through a lot of sort of company turnarounds, you know, you learn a lot. You learn, I probably learned so much from just having been with companies and communicating through when they were kind of at their, their valleys. Like it's invaluable experience. However, it's also very hard on you. <laughs> It wears on you emotionally. It is taxing. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, you learn a lot. You only learn about riffs by doing them. If you don't have to do one, then you know, that's like experience you're never going to get. Um, but when you're doing them all the time, when you're doing them like quarter after quarter or half after half, it, it taxes you. It really just it gets under your skin, you know, having to tell people all the time, like, I don't want to normalize that. I don't want to, you know, get used to telling people that they've lost their jobs for no fault of their own. Um, you know, and I, I think that to be sort of honest and vulnerable, that's what kind of led me away from Fitbit was, you know, I joined and one of the first things I did was communicate a riff. Did it again three months later getting ready to do another one. And it was just like, uh, I, I can't, I'm done. Like I am emotionally, I can't keep doing this. Um, but you know, that was, I, I yeah, <laughs> not to take this podcast to a dark place or anything, but no. No, but you know, there, there's some lessons in there for, for different folks, right? One is just the classic, if you're growing fast, we understand. We've we've been in startups, we've been in 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 these situations, so we know that it's hard to get all the right pieces in place when they really are needed. But I do think that while that's generally hard, there's also probably a tendency to think of something like comms as an afterthought in those scenarios, right? To, to kind of approach yeah. that as like, well, I will, you know, there are too many other things that are far more important uh, and urgent. So we're, we're going to kick that one down, kick that can down yeah. the road. Right. And I, that, yeah, that, I, it's, it's been too obvious for too long now that that isn't, uh, that isn't healthy. That, that come back, comes back and bites you big time. Right. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like there is a, there is probably a size at which you need to start thinking about internal comms. And that size is a few hundred people. You know, it's not almost a couple thousand. There is, and I, <laughs> I, I, I was, I tried to find it, but I can't find it. So now I don't even know if this is, you know, if I'm making stuff up. Um, but you know, it's, I know I'm not making it up, but there's, you know, a, a sort of a, a rule of, of communications. Um, that comes up with the amount of people that are together. It's like 
you know, tribalism or something like that, where, you know, once you reach a certain size, then there's a communication breakdown. That's when communication starts breaking down. Um, and it, it totally translates over to companies. Um, you know, once you reach a certain number of people, um, even in a single office, but once you actually start making, you know, like opening branch offices, and then you start going global, that is when you need somebody to think about, like their job is to think about how do we communicate across borders, across languages, how do we communicate, you know, with this entire global company? Um, because we are no longer just 200 people in a single office and we see everybody all day and we know everybody. And I think, you know, companies that think about that earlier rather than later are going to be more successful because then they have that opportunity to create those proactive channels of communication um, that keep people informed as things are happening rather than reacting to things happening. Yep, indeed. Well, thanks for sharing around that. Um, yeah, we went a little deep there, right? <laughs> I don't think that was where you wanted the question to go, but. <laughs> I think that's exactly where it should go, man. Um, it's, it's really important that we, we touch on these things. Um, that said, you know, you, you have Thumbtack today, right? Thriving, doing well. You have the Fitbit experience. Then you had um, an eBay experience that lasted longer than probably anyone will last anywhere uh, from this date forward. Um, tell us what makes someone, and perhaps especially someone like yourself, really stay somewhere for more than a decade. Yeah. Um... You know, it's funny because eBay is celebrating, I, I believe, their 25th anniversary. They celebrated it last week. Um, so I saw a bunch of, you know, old coworkers that were posting things on LinkedIn, eBay's 25th anniversary. Um, and it hit me, you know, that if I was still there, I would have been 19 years, um, which is crazy. I mean, <laughs> 19 of the 25 years to spend at any one company, that's insane. Um, but yes, no, I left right before 14 years. Um, but you know, I think, I think what it is, and, and something that I've seen as, as I've sort of advanced through my career and I've joined different companies and I've seen, you know, um, other people that have come from eBay or PayPal or sort of that eBay family, um, I've, I've come to realize that eBay did a really good job of developing people. They did a really good job of giving people opportunities um, that they might not normally have and opportunities even outside of their own sort of like immediate role. Um, and I think part of the reason that I stayed at eBay for so long was because I started in one role, you know, 19 years ago and had the opportunity, you know, I was doing so well in that role that, you know, they approached me and said, hey, we're opening an office in Vancouver um, we need some people to go up that sort of are the culture carriers that can train others, you know, that have experience in this. Um, would you be interested? And it was, yeah, you know, let's, <laughs> let's try something new. And once I got there, it was, okay, I'm in this one role, but hey, we need somebody to, to do this. Can you help with this? Sure. You know, not a problem. Um, and then like I had probably three different roles you know, in the time that I was just in Vancouver um, and then got an, another role when we moved back to Salt Lake and then got a new role and I moved to um, San Jose and there, you know, got two roles and even added sort of additional responsibilities onto the role. Like it was just, it was, I, I don't want to say it was fluid, but it was like one of those things where, you know, if you, if you saw a need, you could probably move in that direction. Um, so like they, like I said, they did a really good job of developing people and giving people opportunities. Um, and I understand that that is something that usually only it, it comes with, you know, people look at that and they think, okay, well, yeah, of course it's a 30,000 person company. Of course, they're going to have multiple offices you can go to multiple roles you can try out. Um, but you know, at the time it wasn't, I joined, I think I was employee 1200, um, at the time I joined and, 
you know, by the time I left, I think I was like the 32nd most tenured person in the company. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's, it's crazy because when I joined, like I said, we weren't, we were like 6,000 maybe still a big company, but not nearly as enormous. Um, and I really think it comes down to, you know, one training your managers well um, and making sure that you have the right people in management positions, people that can manage. I think a lot of times, especially in tech, what happens is, oh no, you can't get it. You, you know, you, there's no advancement for you until you start managing people. And that is sort of like the, the, the line, you know, that gets used. And um, in my opinion, that creates a lot of really bad people managers. You know, people should not get promotions based on whether or not they manage others. Um, maybe if they manage them well, but most of the time you see people that they have no idea. They don't want to manage people. They want to be individual contributors and be really good at what they do. But if I don't get a promotion until I manage people, great. Give me some people to manage. Um, I think that was not the way at eBay for one. Sorry, that seems like a tangent, but that was not the way at eBay. Like people, they invested in their managers gave them lots of really good manager training. Um, managers were great managers. And then those managers invested in those people. Um, and it wasn't also, you know, that wasn't this culture of, of, oh no, you're not leaving my team. You know, you're too good. You're too valuable. You're not leaving my team. It was like, yeah, new opportunities. We want to keep you here at eBay. You might be leaving my team, but you're still here at eBay and you're still a, a great contributor. Um, and so, you know, I think that was, developing like it was it was all about people development and anybody can do that any company any size can invest in their people and they can develop them they can give them training they can you know you might not have four offices that you can go work from but it's it's that constant development and that constantly doing something new and something different so that really sounds like a company that's intentional about optimizing for real connections right Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I'm curious, you know, from your vantage point, what do you think the source of that, that was like, why, why were they so good at and so focused on that? To me, it came down to really the mission and the purpose of the company. Um, it was something that, you know, people connected with, especially back then, because back then it was completely unheard of that you would go on this website and you would find something that you liked and then you would mail like a check or cash to somebody and then they would send you the item sight unseen. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was this business model that was built on trust. Um, you know, and Pierre Omidyar, the founder of eBay, you know, he, one of his most famous sayings and sort of what he built eBay on was that people are basically good. That was sort of his mantra. He believed that if you gave people the opportunity to be good and be honest and be fair with one another, that they would. You know, maybe there would be some outliers on occasion. Um, and in my role there, <laughs> when I first started, oh yeah, there were a lot of outliers. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, people were basically good. And he built an entire company on this. And I think that carried through to like, you know, treating everybody with respect. All of the employees acted that way as well. You know, it was really like all people are basically good. You know, treat everybody with respect. Treat everybody like you want to be treated. Um, and so, you know, it was all about that at eBay. Yeah. It was like, and it was, it was all about connections. Mm. I think that was the other thing is like, the entire platform was built on connections. Like normally, would you ever, you know, prior to eBay, you know, if you collected stamps, you know, what, how would you go about finding some rare stamp that some guy in Germany owned, you know, that, <laughs> that he wanted to get rid of, or he was willing to sell, you know, you, I, who knows, <laughs> you know, I mean? you know and, but now you're making connections, you're making connections with people that you would have never known that have similar interests and similar likes and, you know, they're so similar to you. And I think it opened up the entire world. Um, and, 
it did the same thing like that that same feeling was there with within those four walls within the employee population there wasn't a lot of difference between the two um you know it was within ebay it was uh, it was always you were always talking about you know the customer um and you know making sure that you're taking care of them and that the you know sellers and customers are are interacting with one another and making connections um but then you also as an employee needed to understand that you needed to understand that that was you know it was it wasn't about just people buying and selling it was about making connections yeah that's awesome what it brings up for me too is this notion of you know if you if you see it you can be it right so when you see a leader that kind of launches this in this kind of way and probably also seeing that positivity manifest itself in different ways right like i imagine they were great with recognition and like all that kind of stuff right kind of celebrating yeah. positivity positivity on top of positivity right yeah. um was that were they highly intentional about those things too just really you know recognizing folks etc oh yeah for, for sure yeah, definitely. I mean, there was multiple recognition programs, um, you know, from small things that managers could do with like spot awards. Um, then those got utilized a lot. Um, but then there was also like company-wide recognition programs. Um, and then, you know, not even just, there was also, I mean, the company was so big. There was like company-wide programs and there were like business unit-wide programs, department-wide programs, team-wide programs. I mean, recognition was big and it was something you did at all levels. Yeah. So you got the Thumbtack experience with, you know, hundreds of people, right? And you got eBay, tens of thousands of people. You got some stuff in between with, with Fitbit. Um, it's hard to and provide... Semantic. What's that? <laughs> I said, and semantic. I don't yes, want to leave massive. out my semantic brethren. Massive, <laughs> massive right? Um, so it's hard to provide general advice to other internal comms people and other leaders across a set of experiences that ranges like that, right? But imagine there are some common threads. We've talked about being proactive with it as yeah. as one part. Um, as you think about going into 2021 and you think about the future leaders of the biggest organizations that are going to matter in the world, what are some of the things that you, that you think of and that you would share and, and that you would draw on your experiences on to really get across to people? I mean, kind of just going back to what we talked about previously, you know, comms is, 70% listening, um, you know, make sure you're doing that. Make sure you have, you know, listening posts, make sure there's people that you can um, sort of rely on uh, and then create your own ways of listening. Uh, you know, whether it, that's, whether it's one-on-ones, whether it's surveys, um, you know, people are more than willing to share their opinions about things. And um, at least, you know, in the companies that I worked at, people love, I, I guess say people love taking surveys, but um, if it's an opportunity to share an opinion, um, then they're all for it. And so, um, you know, find, find ways that you can listen. I, I really do think that as, you know, future of internal comms, I, I do think that people are going to realize that listening is so important um, and probably even more important that they, you know, had thought um i also think that especially over the course of the next six months or a year who knows however long until we can go back into the office um taking a step back and assessing your channel strategy is going to be huge um because we don't have all the channels available to us uh and you know without sort of those real time in your face uh opportunities that people used to get we need to think about ways to create those um, for people. You know, how can you create water cooler chats or something like that via Zoom um, or Slack channels? Um, you know, you got to get creative and there's, you know, a lot of tools. And I think too, one thing to think about that I, I often tell people is that a lot of times the tools that you use within your organization do so much more than what you use them for. 
Like they have a lot of different functionality that you probably don't even know about because when you joined, you were trained on one function within that tool. And that's what you've been using it for. But when you take a step back and you actually look at like the breadth of what a lot of the tools that your organization uses actually can do, um, I think you'll be really surprised. You know, platforms like Atlassian, I mean, they have, there's, that thing is <laughs> enormous. Um, even simple tools like Slido. Everybody knows Slido for being able to, you know, take anonymous or non-anonymous Q&A. Um, but uh, I mean, that's like one of 30 things that the Slido tool can do. Um, we ran an entire game show through Slido once. Um, you know, I think if you actually like take a step back and, and, and look at everything that you're using, you can find new ways to do it that aren't gonna cost you more money. Um, and that are going to engage people. People like to do new things in new ways. Um, and so that, uh, and then I think maybe lastly, um, one of the things that we've started doing is, is doing a little bit more like video. We started a podcast recently. Um, and so I like to call these sort of like on your own time communications because they're not necessarily that timely. They are informative and you know, if you can get to them within like a week or two, the content isn't gonna be out of date. And you know, it's stuff that people can pull whenever they want it. It's not, they don't need to be paying attention. They don't need to be like, oh, I got a new Slack, I better go read it. Or, oh, I gotta get caught up on my email. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go listen to that podcast today because I'm going heads down on this design or whatever I'm doing. Um, I'm gonna see what the CEO was talking to the head of growth marketing about. Um, you know, and so I think, think about that too, like more of those sort of on your own time types of communications that you can get out to people. Um, I think those would be, you know, especially appreciated in this sort of time. <laughs> really good insights. Um, one thing I also wanted to ask you along those lines is in, in bigger companies, um, perhaps especially it is hard to change quickly enough when things like this happens, right? It is, um, we, we got to have empathy. It's easy to sit here in a, in a tech startup and say, oh, you know, that's uh, just move fast. Right. It, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, why don't you just move fast? That's the solution. Yeah, just move fast. Um, but what, you know, and, and I think, I think the other thing that happens to, um, this is generalizing, but what tends to happen in some bigger companies as they get bigger is that, the feeling of connections is, is kind of at jeopardy sometimes. And it isn't that it gets entirely lost, but it can get lost. And especially mm -hmm. for bigger companies that have grown from being smaller, I think there's a lot of sentiment around, oh, well, when we were smaller, we felt, you know. So what, what do you think for a bigger company that might be struggling right now that's trying to figure out how to make sure that the teams really feel connected both to one another and to the work. What, what realistically can and should they think about? The way that they need to think about it is creating space for people to make connections. I think maybe what happens, you know, too often at larger companies is that um, they're less apt to do things sort of from the ground up or I shouldn't say from the ground up, they're less apt to do things in a grassroots kind of way. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's, let's create a program where you can, you know, employees can get together, they can collaborate, they can make these connections, you know, maybe it's a, a Zoom call, um, you know, maybe it's a virtual lunch hour. Um, but I think maybe what happens is people are like, well, yeah, but what if nobody shows up? And well, wait a second, who's gonna manage this every week? I'm not gonna manage this every week. You know, that's not part of my role. Um, and I think that's the thing is, is, you know, so many of these sort of programs that people create, um, they feel like they're things that need to be managed. They feel like they're things that need to be owned. And really it's all about just creating the space initially, like creating something that's either recurring or just giving somebody else the opportunity to run with it. You know, I landed in so many of my roles because it was, you know, somebody had a great idea or I had a great idea and nobody had the time to take it on. So they're like, you, you want to do it? Sure. It's a career opportunity, you know? Um, and so I think 
like I said, it comes down, like you can, you don't need to manage connections. It's not something that needs to be managed. Nobody needs to own connections. You know, what you need to do is you, you just need to give employees the space to make them. So, you know, whether that's creating a simple Slack channel where people can talk about anything that's on their minds, or maybe it's just setting up a recurring Zoom meeting at lunch hour every day where anybody can come and then they can, you know, create their own breakout rooms. You know, hey, everybody, I'm uh, so-and-so and I want to go talk about music. Join me in this breakout room. Um, nobody needs to manage that. So I think there's a lot of things where you think that, you know, connections need to be managed and somebody needs to own it. And that's the exact opposite of what your employees want. You know, they don't want somebody, they don't want a member of leadership going, okay, we're having mandatory connection hour uh, over on Zoom and, you know, I'm going to join you. Um, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's just, stop trying to manage everything so much, you know, <laughs> like just give the space and people will use it and they will make connections and they will find ways to connect with one another. Um, I think my only advice is make sure that it's open to everybody. If you're a global organization, make sure that you do it at a time when all of your offices can join. Um, you know, you're, you're sort of hampering connections when you're only doing it on an office by office basis. Like, okay, great. Everybody in Romania is connected. Okay, great. Everybody in Boston is connected. Okay, great. Everybody in San Francisco is connected, but the company is not connected. You need to create those spaces where everybody can connect with one another. And I'm going to say just one more thing really quickly. You can do that so much better if as you're growing, you build those connections so that you don't have to do it. Like when you're a 600 person organization, you open a new office, start creating those, start creating some way for those offices to communicate. That's not just Slack and email, you know, and in informal ways, another office opens, do the same thing. Now it's all three offices. And then by the time you get to be in a 2000 person organization with 20 offices, this is built in. This is part of your culture. You know, it's not something that you're now trying, oh my God, we got so big, we need to connect everybody. And then you're 2000 people and you're trying to roll out this initiative. You can do that ahead of time. That's why you need somebody from internal comms or like employee experience as part of your organization early on. Because they can see where you're going to be in four years and they can anticipate and they can proactively create these campaigns and these programs and these initiatives that connect your employees from the get-go. And the great ones like you actually do that. <laughs> we try <laughs> it's awesome the work you do jd is awesome you know it's um it isn't rewarded enough in general but it is appreciated by i think a growing amount of us and it is awesome and hearing how you talk about that is is downright inspiring thank you for that <laughs> thank you yeah, it's awesome. So I want to end with this. Um, we've talked a lot about connections, right? Connections in the workplace. What, what does that term even bring up for you? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, to me, connections inside, outside the workplace, you know, I think maybe they can be a little more difficult inside of the workplace because I think a lot of people maybe can't, they don't feel like they can bring their true selves to work. Um, you know, which is unfortunate, or feel like they can share really who they are, you know, with their coworkers. Um, but to me, connections are just, they're similarities. They are things that you see in other people that you can relate to. And it, I mean, it could be so minor and it, it, it it's not necessarily anything that you, you're like born with, you know, it's not like I, I'm only going to connect with, you know, people that were born in Salt Lake. Um, or that we're from there. Sure, those are connections, but at the same time, you know, like you and I, skateboarding, apparently we both skateboarded when we were little, you know, we just made a connection. You know, we now know, you know, something about one another um, that is common and it's similar and it's cool. You know, we'll probably always remember that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's those little things that just sort of tell you something about a person and connect you to that person in some way um, that now you feel like you know that person. When you can make those in the office environment or I'd say the remote office environment now, but anytime you, know, you can make those with people and you have connections with somebody that you work with, 
you're going to be able to work better with them, in my opinion, because now they're, you know, they're this human, there's, you have a connection, there's similarities, there's things that you like, um, you know, that you both like. I will say really quickly, though, to kind of wrap it all up and go back to what we were talking about earlier, you can't make those connections if you don't listen. Like, if you're not having a conversation with people, you can't make those connections. And if you don't ask questions, you know, you're never going to know. And so... I think that really uh, is the important thing is, you know, you make connections by listening and that's when, you know, all the dots kind of start coming together. Uh, that's great, man. That's great. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing generously uh, about your experiences, your perspective, uh, hugely valuable. So thanks so much, JD. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. It's my sincere hope you found something you can apply towards greater connection in your work life. If so, an honest review would certainly be welcomed. Reboot for Connection is brought to you by ScreenCloud. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we'd be honored if you subscribe to this one. You may also email us at reboot at screencloud.com with any reactions or ideas you might have for us. Hope to catch you again next time.